What's good, Revolutionary? Will Huston, CCO, founder of Bay Capital. What's your revolution? Um, bro, my, my revolution is I've come to see that uh, people who have high incomes are typically very loud with their money. Wealthy people are quiet. Wealth is a very uh, personal thing in terms of, like, do you have freedom of choice? That's right. That's right. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show. A show for men and the people that love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. Where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, revolutionaries? I hope all is well and you're doing your thing. At the recording of this show, it is the end of November, and I've been saying all a part of this fourth quarter that, what are you doing, right? It is November 29th at the recording of this show. We're going to put it out soon, but I want to make sure that you are doing the things that you need to do in your life, right? To make sure that you are fulfilling this revolution, that you are making your way in the world, that whatever that you, whatever that you dream in your life, that you think about how do you pursue this, right? That you that you build your goals out and then piece by piece by piece, you put those dreams and goals together. And remember that you can find those communities. You can find those people. As we've been saying on the show for so long, find your midwives to help you pull out those dreams. And I'm hoping... I'm hoping that you've been finding them in this journey, in this fourth quarter, you know, because once December comes, December 31st hits and you look back, you do that, you know, evaluation of where have you been in this revolution? And it may still be going for you. But when you look back, who have you brought in with you? Right. Who have you evolved into over the last year? That's the thing. Who have you like radically changed from? Because we say revolt and evolve is one of the catalysts of your revolution. Who have you evolved into? And I want to make sure that you're doing that, right? I'm always fortunate, as I say here on the show, to meet amazing people. And that one of the things that I say to you revolutionaries is that you have to put yourself out into the world to meet people, and they will gravitate to you, and you will gravitate to them. And I met this brother that I'm going to introduce you to on a humbug, as we say, you know, down in New Orleans, you know, we happened to be at Pharrell's Mighty Dream Forum back in October. And actually, it was in early November, excuse me. And I met this brother from New York, Kenneth. And we were having, actually, I was walking up, I saw him, I was like, yo, brother, what's going on? Great conversation. And he introduced me to this brother, William Huston. And we just happened to just start talking and walking because we were going to an event together. And I say this to you, revolutionaries, because you never know who you will meet in the world. But if you don't put yourself out there, you may be lost. You may not know who are the revolutionaries that you're going to meet in your life. Who are the people that you can support them and they can support you? And William and I spent an afternoon together just walking and talking and listening and meeting other folks and introducing ourselves to other people. And here we are on the show. And this brother's story, when you hear him... It is, going to, it is going to be riveting to you because when you hear what this brother is doing in the world 
and why his revolution is so important. You're like, damn, I gotta find out what he's. I gotta find out more about him. I gotta contact him because I got, I got some things in the bag, and you know that I might wanna uh, I, I might wanna send out to him because like, when you when you Google this brother, you will see. Let, let me let me give him some flowers, right, just for a second. When you Google William Huston, you'll see that he is. One invest investopedia's top 100 financial advisors, not for 21, but for also 22. Ranked second out of 900 firms, his firm of Bay Capital for Asset Manager of the Year. Like this brother, when I talk about financial wealth and wealth planning, this is the brother that you really want to have a conversation with. So, brother Will William, what's up, brother? How are you? Welcome to the What's Your Revolution Show. How are you, my friend? I'm good, bro. Thanks again for having me. Uh, I appreciate you. And thanks, uh, you know, for the kind introduction. I appreciate that, man. No worries, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the time, man. You know, you just never know when you're walking down the street, who you're going to meet. And the conversation that we had that day in early November, just about who we were, what we were doing and the, and the folks and all the people that you met the day, my friends, you know, I told them that I was going to be interviewing you. They want to say thank you for all the support. Uh, Kim is doing really well with her her Senate her uh, state Senate race here. She said thank you, thank you, thank you. And the sister with the T, she was like she was like make sure you tell him thank you uh, for all the support. She it means a lot to her. And that's what happens when you meet folks that are and I'll say this out loud that are not about themselves. And I got that feeling like you want to give to the world. And so thank you for showing up not as this person who you know, is doing all of these big things. And we'll talk about this, but someone who is giving themselves to the world. So let me, let me start there. Why is it important for you to make sure that you're giving first, that it's not about William? Why is that important for you? I think it's important for me because when I started doing what I was doing, I didn't have a lot of uh, people that I could, seek out guidance and say, Hey, can you help me see around the corner? You know? Mm. And as I've gotten older and I've gained, uh, experience doing the same thing for a long period of time, I've started to see the value in, uh, listening first and then, uh, like having a real desire to say, Hey, this is something I can share with you from experience that can encourage you, uh, to get past whatever it is that you're, that you're dealing with. And, you know, to your point, I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, it's very difficult uh, to find someone who's actually interested in seeing that through. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a call yesterday uh, with the family office that manages the Hyatt, you know, the Hyatt family mm-hmm. uh, and it's broken into 11 different businesses. All of them are billionaires. And I really thought, oh, this is the exact type of person that would love to hear what we're doing, would love to be a part of what we're building, et cetera, et cetera. And the vibe that I got was very, that's interesting. Let us know how it goes, you know? And in life, sometimes that can be really uh, discouraging. Kind of to your point, you're, you're out, you're trying to build something. And in your mind, you have this idea of what that thing that you're building looks like, you know? And one of my favorite words when I was younger was the word myopia, which means to have a blurred perception of the future. I always had this idea of what I was building and six months would go by, nine months would go by. I look back at what I was building and it was nothing like 
what I was anticipating growth would look like, revenue would look like. It never, it never worked out, you know. And um, you know, moving from that place of discouragement to a place of uh, subject matter expertise and a confidence in who you are and what you're building, it helps you build up conviction so that when you're in a cycle of a drawdown. Uh, you know that that's just a period of time in your process, and that if you keep focusing on what you what you have a gift of doing, uh, you'll come to a place where you move with the right people. And that's really, in my opinion, a lot of what business is: is finding the right people uh, to move with and to help uh, help you grow and to invest with over long periods of time, and allowing that compound interest and that compounding of the relationship uh, to take you over the next hurdle. Brother, yes, yes. And I, I think what we hear in this is that being selfless will allow people to move towards you, but also being convicted in your purpose. And, and that's the thing, being convicted in your purpose, because we will have these low points. We will have these opportunities when we're building something big. I, I think that's the, the key revolutionary is that as you build something big, you have to be convicted day in and day out to know that, hey, this is my purpose. I'm walking in my purpose because, like you said, you never know who you're going to meet walking down the street. And that's that's exactly how this relationship you know, began, walking down the street, being selfless, just, just, just talking about our dreams, talking about our goals. And I think that's the importance of what you're saying is that when we're convicted in our beliefs and when we're, we're selfless in our actions – more folks will be drawn to us. And that's the thing. I think as we're building revolutionaries, building revolutions and building revolutionaries out in the world, people want to see, people want to see, what are you doing? Like, can I be a part of this with you? You know, the Bible talks about not walking alone. All right. The thing about this is that, that when you have folks that believe in something that are convicted in something far greater than themselves, what has happened in history? movements have begun Mm -hmm. when people said, you know what, this is not just about me. This is about far something far greater. And we believe in this as a collective. That is an interesting thing. Well, that is a very, very interesting thing. When groups of folks really think about how do we move something in a positive manner that is going to impact change. And I think that's what I hear from you is that you have been building something over time that has drawn folks to you and your family and what you're doing so you can create something bigger for the world. You know, when you're building something, it's a very lonely road. You know, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs as visionaries, uh, even when you have a team, the team is much different than, uh, the the dream that the entrepreneurs, you know, like I, I dream about people who I'm trying to get meetings with. Like I'm constantly, you know, there's this iterative process in, in someone who can see what they're hoping for, you know, and that's a much different sort of day-to-day experience than a lot of employees will have, even if they're happy to go along that road with you and they're happy to grab a hold to your dream. And I think something that is really challenging for entrepreneurs is to take a step back and listen to what your team's dreams are as well, you know, and, and come to a place where they can, they can see how walking down the path with you for a period of time helps them also 
uh, accomplish the dream that they have. But it's a very, uh, it can be a very lonely road, I think. You know, even yesterday I was, I wanted to have a conversation with someone just about like some things I was thinking about, you know, and I drew a blank on who to talk to, Mm. you know, I was like, well, I just keep, I just kind of keep noodling on this on my own, you know, Um, which is kind of back to your point why I think it's really important to be grounded in, uh, in your, in your faith. You know, you, you, you want to be able to say like, uh, there, there's going to be times where there's no one uh, that I can really talk to about how I'm feeling, not necessarily a decision that I have to make, but how I'm really feeling about where, uh, things are and, 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 and where they're supposed to be. And, and then settling back down in that place of rest saying, well, this is, uh, where I'm supposed to be. And again, my ultimate goal, you know, what my wife needs, what the community needs, like the local community needs from me, uh, isn't a bigger business. It's not a, you know, it's not a more successful fill in the blank. They need to see Christ likeness, you know, and when I revert back to that and say, all right, it's not about that. I kick the cat or did I like, you know, take out the trash before my wife asked or something like that. It's like, did she see, somebody who was at rest today, despite what was going on, uh, is what I would check off and say, uh, I was performing properly in my role to Mm -hmm. her, to my child, to my family, to my community. Um, because that was the main thing you mentioned the Bible. That's the main thing that was repeated more than anything else was do not be afraid. So am I living Mm -hmm. a life where I'm in constant fear, constant anxiety, or am I moving on a day-to-day basis from a position of rest you feel me that was a beautiful thing and thinking about that overcoming our fears when as entrepreneurs it's scary it like you said entrepreneurship can be lonely it can be fearful it can be a, a myriad of brick walls but when you're i think that you know and, and this is what i do well sometimes i will rest on a theme conviction mm. right when you are convicted to something, hmm. you, you will overcome your fears. You will take sledgehammers to your brick walls. Mm-hmm. You, will, you will draw folks in as we talk about this. And people, people, you think about who, you know, and I say this, who do we follow? Right? Who, who do we follow? We follow those. And it's interesting because follow, follower has become, what's the word? small these days right right but when i say this when when i think about this because i followed my pastor right dr robert g murray i followed i followed him when i say i followed him he he led our flock and he was a he was a stately man he was a cavalier man he was a, a godly man will and i followed him because he was convicted in his faith and he was convicted in his leadership and he cared about his folks i like it and when you when you when you spoke with him when you when you rested with him you felt at calm you felt yeah. at ease you felt that you could get wisdom and knowledge mm. and i think that's when we think about true following right when we when we see someone who's convicted and that we can also say that their revolution is not just for him that we can find ourselves within their revolutions he was revolutionary because he brought folks into something much bigger than himself. Mm. And I, and, and when I, when I think about your work, when I think about how folks are thinking about planning for the future, right? What are they convicted about? It's not just about having money in the bank. Well, in my, in my opinion, you can tell me I'm wrong. Mm. Is that 
having enough of the resources that they can pursue what they are convicted about. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on that. Do you think that what I'm saying is is revolutionary? Or is it just or it should be the ordinary way of thinking that folks should be thinking about? I want to create wealth so I can follow my convictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think a shift is happening. You know, under allocation is the term that I always use. I think a lot of times uh, we make the mistake of under allocating to people who have the gift of wealth creation because of some bias that that might pre-exist or some sort of prejudice. And that is a mistake that hinders everyone because if someone has the gift of wealth creation, it's a rare gift you follow. And through that gift, they're able to build up other individuals who can support other, you know, their, their family units, their communities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's kind of like, I think an easier way to think about it is musicians. Like you say, who do you follow? If you have a favorite musician and then you go and then you type in like cover songs, what you'll see is collateral talent, right? Mm. Who latched on to someone's gift. And even if they're not as good, what that musician has done through their pursuit of, you know, learning their craft is they built up other very talented musicians, whether they're as famous or not, you get my point. And it's, and it's yes, the I same creation. I think a lot of times we, we miss the real value in appropriately allocating to individuals who have a proven uh, history of wealth creation, you know, and, and that gets rephrased in, you know, black people are being given enough money through VC or they're not raising enough money in private equity or they're being, you know, they're not getting enough money. Um, they're getting worse rates for mortgages. They're getting worse appreciation or, 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 or home. Um, they're getting the, the, what is it called? The home. Um, when the person comes in and they the appraisals, they're, yeah, they're getting, they're getting worse appraisals. So all that in my, in my view, as I've, as I've gone through that in the Bay area, you know, my wife and I, we were one of eight black homeowners in, in one of the cities that we lived in. Uh, we, we were in Palo Alto for six years. We only stayed in Los Altos for 11 months. You know, we saw so much, uh, dissatisfaction, uh, through our local community, like the neighbors that we had were not, uh, neighborly. You get my point. And and I think that's a mistake because, you know, looking at it through the lens of, uh, someone's gift, you would have, you would have immediately said, Hey, this is someone who I can uh, build wealth with. You know, this is somebody who, um, can help me, can help my family, can help my community. You see. And I think a couple of other cultures get that right. You know, I think it's something that we as a community, like I said, I think there's a shift happening. Uh, we are becoming better resourced, you know, and we're and, and what we're starting to see are uh, stars that are shining a little brighter for a little longer. You see, mm-hmm. it's, it's gone past. People can only say, I know athletes and entertainers make the media might want us to believe that that's all black children see. But I don't I don't really agree with that. I think that we're seeing other individuals in their local communities who've been successful, uh, who've had the same sort of experience that you and I have had. And they're saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to help uh, bring up uh, the next individual and show them through example, 
hey, this is something that you can do. And um, this is uh, this is and, and here's living proof of it um, on a, on 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 a day to day basis. You follow. We're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah. So definitely, definitely understanding like what you're saying is there are more models out here. And like I said, we have more opportunity to follow really, really good folks, you know, like that are antithetical to the media, right? That only certain black folks are creating wealth or certain people of color are actually creating wealth. And so that, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the positives of social media that we have the ability now to see, or to, to have creators tell us stories of folks that haven't been right. We don't need to see little bronze or the Serena's of the, the Serena's of the world. We can see the Will Huston's of the world, right? We can see the Charles Corpus of the world. Um, we can see a variety of different folks. Um, and that, that's the wonderful thing. It's also, I, I also want to say this, and you, I'm sure that you will agree is that we also have to be wise consumers of information as well, because there's some faux folks out there. Right. And so, um, just making sure that we, that you are wise in really understanding who is really convicted and really convicted about that work and what they're trying to pursue and why what you can gather from them. I think that's also I think that's also important. Well, I don't want to get the, the time to get away from us before I ask our signature question. And so let, 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 let's let's get it in. Will Huston, CCO, founder of Bay Capital. This financial like guru, wizard, the intellectual person of, of finance. What's your revolution? Um, bro, my, my revolution is growing up in a place where uh, I didn't really have a roadmap. You know, again, I had good examples. I had good parents um, and I had a desire to to build something for myself. You know, my dad told me at a young age. No one to ever pay you as much as you'll pay yourself, you know. And so, for the first s- several years, you know, about ten years of my life, I spent a lot of time trying to do that, you know, trying to build something up and not really feeling like I saw the fruits of that, you know. And at the peak of my career, I felt that I was at the peak then of my career. I was very depressed, you know. Um, I was three years into my marriage. Uh, everyone on the outside, it seemed like things were going really well, but all the money that I was making, I was putting back in the business. Again, I had no real example of even how to run a business. I was just trying to do stuff, you know? Um, and my, my revelation as a, as a man, as a, as a child of God was really being able to move from a position of what am I trying to build? Uh, and, and whether that works out or not, uh, what am I hoping to accomplish, you know, and my shifts and my priorities, uh, in life really changed. Um, and, and when I was about 20, no, 20, well, actually about 30, call it 32 ish, you know, well, actually call it, call it 26. It <laughs> Again, you know, there's these kind of ways, you know, you kind of, you kind of like, Right. You iterate, you know, um, but in general, man, I mean, just moving from this position of chasing after the world, you know, you, you mentioned like this archetype, like who to follow type deal. You know, I, I've, I've come to see that 
uh, people who have high incomes are typically very loud with their money. You know, they're, they're going to go and they're going to, they want to say, look at me, look at all this money that I have. Yada, yada. But a lot of the wealthy people, I mean, the, the, the prototype that I've seen uh, over time is that wealthy people are quiet, you know, and uh, they don't move the goalposts. And I've come to see that wealth is a very, uh, personal thing in terms of like, do you have freedom of choice? I know individuals who their businesses are doing a hundred million dollars a year of revenue. They're wealthy by all accounts of the word, you know? Um, but I know, I know individuals that are making $45,000 a year and they're wealthy. They have freedom of choice. They're mm. happy with their situation and they're not moving the goalposts. They're not trying to say, I want to be like fill in the blank, you know? And I think a lot of times, again, as we as we are in a rat race to start out, you have a tendency to say, I'm making a hundred grand. I can't wait till I'm making, you know, a million. And then you get to a place where you're like, I got a million dollar house, but I can't wait till I've got 10 million. You know, and you're always moving this goalpost. And mm-hmm. so you're never really in a position wow. where wow. you've got, you know, freedom of choice. You're always pursuing after this next thing. And in my revolution, my revolution uh, is that, you know, it's that, you know, when I'm saying my prayers throughout the day, my prayer isn't God help my business work out. You know, I used to pray that all the time. If something didn't go well, I would think I did something wrong. You know, if something went well, I got a new client or something. I would think I'm doing something right, you know, and the prayer is no longer make this thing work. Um, it's make me Christ-like, you know, if my business doesn't work out, then that's what needs to happen for me in order to make me like Christ. Mm. I'm not going to be disappointed in that outcome to the point of like, uh, again, defeat. I would, I would look at and say, what is my father trying to teach his son? And you see what I'm saying? And so my, yes, yes. I mean, if you look at my uh, like Twitter handles, even my LinkedIn handle, it's way H U. Uh, iOS, which is uh, Greek for son of God, you know? Mm-hmm. And so moving from a place of just being in the world where I'm doing this thing to a place of, you know, as the son of God, uh, am I doing right by him as his son on a day-to-day basis when I'm out uh, in the world? And even if something doesn't work out, because when you speak like this, a lot of people want to see failure. You know, and again, that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from. When you're very vocal about who you are as the son of God, people will look at that and they'll say, well, crucify him. Why? Because that's what they did to the son of God. So they should right. see what I'm saying. And, and, and knowing that can, you know, you, you're confronted a lot of times with this doubt of well, what if I, you know, dishonor my father what if i you know can i and and then taking a step back and like i said saying look i can rest in where i am today the holy spirit is going to give me the rest that i need and if something doesn't work out i can go to my father and i can say hey can you help me trust Mm -hmm. you know not can you help me solve my problem can you help me believe who you are who you told me that you are right Yes. Uh, not so much. Can you change my circumstance or situation? Because if I'm in that situation, the son of God would say, not my will, your will be done, not fix my problem. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, um, 
That's where I am, bro. And like I said, I've been really fortunate. You know, you mentioned your pastor. I go to a very small church. Um, when we moved to the Bay, they told me that you're not going to really find uh, a lot of people who were uh, Christians, you know. And what I've been fortunate to to run into is a group of a small group of brothers who are seeking the Lord with their whole heart. Mm, you know? Right. It's, it's, uh, it's a very rare thing to find. Uh, and it's part of the reason that my wife and I still live here. It's not, you know, it's not, it wasn't so much about the, the business or anything like that as much as it was the group of brothers who, you know, I can wake up on a day-to-day basis and know that these are guys who I can die daily with, uh, whether we speak on a day-to-day basis or not. They're, they're living a life, um, in pursuit of Christ. And to your point about running, you know, with the group of folks, whether they're business guys or not, um, that encourages me to see people yes. who are challenged on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. A lot of them are in technology. A lot of them have lost jobs. And I've seen how, you know, they've handled uh, their circumstances and situations to bring me to a place of, you know, hey, I can I can model um, what I'm seeing until I'm able to say, follow me too. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so so much there that I want to unpack, but the, the the question that comes to me from this this commentary is, how did you begin your walk? And I'm gonna there's a there's a, a rationale for this question. Well, is that, and I'm just I'm just gonna be vulnerable. Oftentimes, this is probably one of the most vulnerable moments that I'm gonna say. I don't believe that my I don't feel like I was brought into my walk willingly. And it's interesting. Um, one of my guests last year talked about that he was a drug addict, and and I'm I'm, I'm listening to him. I'm like, well, this is about to be a story mm-hmm. about him taking drugs. But no, he was like, I was drugged to Sunday school. I was drugged to Sunday church. I was drugged to Wednesday service. I was drugged, you know. So it was really in a, <clears throat> a really interesting analogy mm-hmm. as he talked about his walk. He's now a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I wrestle, right, and I understand this is not the, 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 the template that I had for this conversation today, but mm-hmm. oftentimes I hear something and I need to dig in for a second. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering because I, as, I, as I do my own journey, as I revolt and evolve into something much greater than I have been, mm. I'm wondering about my own walk. Mm. I'm wondering about my own journey to, to, to solidify my faith, mm. but it hasn't been my own. It has been someone else's. And so I'm wondering how you got to this journey on your own and how, what advice would you give to someone who is seeking, who's looking for this on their own that is unencumbered or, uh, you know, um, that is unencumbered by someone, uh, untethered to someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the good thing about, uh, the gospel, you know, is that it has to be for everyone. So I can share how the Lord, how my father brought me to a place of rest in him. And the good thing is, is that someone can hear that and what he'll do for them will be completely different. You know, so in my case, you know, like I said, I was pursuing things of the world. I thought I was a very Christian person, but I was a compromiser. I, I had a, I lived a life of compromise where I was very partial towards other people, but I wasn't very strict on my own inner life, you know? And uh, I came to a place, man, like I said, my marriage three years into it, it was a very difficult marriage. Part of the reason we moved to California was to get away from our families. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really agree with our marriage. Um, and as a result, we spent a lot of our time arguing with one another. Um, my business at the time was in the Philippines. Uh, so I was always gone. You know, it's just a very bad situation. And um, I just came to a place, man, for me, I, I read in Matthew, it says, seek the Lord of your whole heart and um, everything else will be added to you. And in that and in that moment, yes, I'd heard that before. Yes, I'd grown up in church and all of that. But it was the first time where I actually said, I'm going to do everything I can to find out if God is real for me. Because at the time, to your point, I'd heard a lot of things, but I wouldn't have been able to say at that time that I had very high confidence that even if God were real, he were interested in me because I saw this life of compromise, you know, and I was like, I'm not really, I'm not really sure um, how to solve for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened for me, man. And, and through that, uh, I spent a lot of my time uh, trying to accomplish what I said and what I, what I ran into. And I think this happens to a lot of people who are pursuing a life of Christ likeness is you, you run into the law, Right. So you say, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. You know, we used to collect a lot of wines when we were traveling around. I had a day where I took all the alcohol we had in the house and I threw it in the trash can, like broke all the glass in the trash and all that. And, you know, there was this sweet aroma of all this wine that it got mixed in. And it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was kind of like, it was weird. You know what I mean? Because like, it was like this big release of like, I'm never drinking again, you know? But my point is, is like when that decision was made, I never drank again. You see what I'm saying? Again, I think it's not to say like, can I have a glass of wine or can I do this or whatever? It was like from my walk, that was something that I needed to do to come to a place where um, like I would not be a compromiser in other areas. Do you see what right. I'm saying? And so yeah, conviction, conviction. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, from there it was fortunately, you know, the Holy spirit, I mean the, the Holy spirit. So what I was, what I was getting to, when you try to become this example of Christ, you run into all these rules, you know what I mean? And so you start moving from a, like, you know, you go into the gym, you're working out, there's girls there. So you like work out with your head down. That was me in the beginning of my walk with the Lord because I didn't mm-hmm. want to sin. You see what I'm you saying? Know, break, so, break, you break know, the rule. Cut your eye out. If it causes you to sin, I took that quite literally. I'm going to just not look at women, you know, and you, you, what you will run into when you hit the law is again, hopelessness. You come to a place where you realize, even though I'm trying to do this, I can't do it, you know? And so the prayer becomes replace my nature and give me yours. Don't fix me just replace it, just replace the nature that I have and give me your nature so that now if I go into the gym, if I go into the mall, I can look at a woman and say, that's the daughter of God. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It doesn't need to be my sister. Like there's the, you see what I'm saying? And so there's this, yes. there's this transition uh, that happens in all areas of your life. If you uh, come to a place of 
real absolute desperation to say, is this going to be real for me? Not based on something I read, not based on something someone told me. And if it is real, it has to be real daily. Like I can't sit and tell you about a story that happened to me when I was in my twenties or early thirties. I have to tell you, what did God do for me this morning? Do you see what I'm saying? Because if, if not, then you're hearing something that's kind of, uh, stale you get my point and right, I'm right. To the word of god like this morning not like you see what i'm saying something that happened last year and i said the prayer i did the baptized thing and like now you know and and the ultimate goal for me you know isn't to to convert people or like give them bibles or things like that is for them to have an interaction with me uh and even if they can't express it properly to say that's something that I want. I want the rest that I see there. I want the, uh, I want the purity that I see in his eyes. When I look at him, I, you see what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a, yeah, yeah, there's a difference. There, there, there definitely is a difference, but I know. And I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, as I, as I move into this space, as, as I grow older and the second half of my life, I, I keep thinking about what does my walk in my faith look like? Um, and it may not be a Christian walk, but it, it is something that is that is is, is moved me to a, a greater faith, and I don't know, I don't know yet. And so, part of the goodness of this is I get the opportunity to seek and to hopefully rest. As, you know, uh, I think our two words that we think about today are rest and conviction, mm-hmm. and you know those things. Right? What, what allows us to rest? What what are we convicted to mm-hmm. uh, that will allow us to rest eventually? And I think that is important to me to find that space of peace, mm-hmm. right? To find that, that for me, something that is my own, not that mm-hmm. I have been influenced by, as I say, mercenary motives, mm-hmm. but something that is mine. And so that is, that is what I'm seeking. And revolutionaries, I know you like this conversation. You've got one of the foremost thinkers uh, when it comes to financial wealth here on the show, but sometimes, sometimes the walk is a little different revolutionary. So bear with me as we, as, as we get to know, Will a little bit more. I want to move the conversation, though, as you said something earlier that I want to bring all the way back. When we think about freedom, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's the piece of this that I, I really want to walk with you, financial freedom, but financial freedom is just one aspect of freedom, right? Mm-hmm. When we're connected with something, we, can, we find freedom. Mm-hmm. This term of generational wealth has been at least the last couple of years it has become the hot term, particularly the hot term amongst um, p- uh, communities of color. It may have been out there, but I, you know, I, I started working in venture capital four or five years ago. And now, you know, I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Is that term problematic? Is that term problematic for you when we say, I want to create generational wealth? And if not, how, how can we use this term as a means of a motivation for us as we're thinking about financial planning and what we're doing to create freedom for ourselves? I don't think it's problematic because it's something to aspire to. You know, okay. I, I think that there's families who who have generational wealth who decide not to pass it on to their children because they want their children to build something with their own life. There's also plenty of families who had generational wealth that that it wasn't properly stewarded and they no longer have it, you know. Um, So I don't think it's an I don't think that it's a problem um, because I think that it's good if somebody young were to latch on to this concept of if I start now, I can build something 
not just uh, of significance for myself, but to pass on. And, you know, that leads to better decision making on days like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and Travel <laughs> Tuesday, yada, yada, yada. Like, you know, um, and, and to your point about social media, I think it's good that there's a couple of voices out there, uh, whether they're licensed or not or whatever, like they have they have a hope that they can encourage a community to all go the same direction. You know, I think a lot of the guys on social media, I don't think, I don't think a lot of them have generational wealth quite yet, you know, but I, again, back to this visionary thing, I think that they're in a place where they see and they've heard and they, and they believe like, Hey, this is something that is for me and I don't have to uh, wait for uh, the support of, uh, anyone, I can continue focusing on my craft, you know, and, and, and they're seeing that, you know, you're seeing these guys go from $600 a month, $6,000 a month, $60,000 a month on, on, uh, things like YouTube, but it doesn't have to be that, you know, you can do the same progression, six, 6,000, 60,000 in anything that you pursue, uh, to be the best at. And I think a lot of times generational wealth, I've been hearing this term imposter syndrome. That wasn't a term that I ever heard when I was in school or in growing up or anything, but it's a term that I've heard by a lot of younger black uh, individuals, you know, where they get into something and there's this like imposter syndrome phrase that's been kind of injected into mm-hmm. uh, the success that they are or the job that they got or something like that. And I think that is a bigger issue. I would say that is a problem. Um, for for that 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 concept of this is not you know i got into stanford but i'm not as smart as everyone else type of attitude i think that that doesn't really get us where we want it doesn't get anyone where they want to go it's not just black people that use that term it's any any young person that has this concept and maybe it's a humble brag but like the people i've heard say it like i actually really think they they are dealing with some concept or some version of that you see um, but no, I don't, I don't think, I think generational wealth is a, for me and my family, I want to do that. I want to build something for my, for my family. Um, you know, I think that, uh, that's important for me to do. I think that's part of my role. And if somebody else has a different version of what that should look like, I think that's okay. You see. No, uh, I, thank you for sharing that. And I, I love that commentary. And I think the generational wealth is, uh, it's not something that I heard in my family growing up. Um, and interestingly, I've talked at length over the last couple of shows about uh, my father's death. Mm. Um, and, you know, and then now having this conversation with my mother. And so uh, my father didn't believe in life insurance. Um, so it's not like he left, you know, uh, a, a sizable life insurance policy or, uh, you know, we got fortunate, Will, and my mother is a woman of faith. We, we were fortunate. Uh, God blessed us with in my father's latter stage uh, because he was a veteran, because he was a war, a war veteran. Uh, he got disability and he made more, he made more in retirement than he did uh, than he did when he was working because of disability and his retirement and different things. Mm-hmm. But I, I often wonder, right, if that mindset had been different for him and for my mother, because uh, my mother is a child of the Depression. And so we think about the psychology of money. My mother looks at money like this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not as a vehicle because as a child of the depression, every penny was, right, we had to hold on to. And so 
thinking about, and you can help me think through this out, out loud, is, is generational wealth, hopefully, as, as we talk more about it, right, generations, our generations, and actually you're a generation behind me, the more and more we talk about this as people of color, the more and more that becomes ingrained into the psyche of who we are, mm-hmm. is that the psychology of the child, the children of the depression um, be, dismisses what we think about we're children of, of generational wealth, it, it, is what we're saying. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate that when we think about it because it begins to direct us in, in who we are. If I'm thinking about generational wealth, I'm thinking about my freedom. I'm thinking about my freedom, but I'm also thinking about my children's freedom and their children's freedom and what that looks like. And that's a mindset. That's a, that's a, diff, a different mindset where we're not thinking about, I got to hold on to this money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a mistake. I've, you know, statistically, black people buy more life insurance than white counterparts. Mm-hmm. I think there's a mistake in thinking that I will have generational wealth if I buy enough life insurance and continue to pay for it. I think that truly building, it requires building. You see what I mean? Generational wealth is an, is, is an income stream. It's not you know, some lump sum of money. If, if somebody has a life insurance policy and you see this, like you said, with with people who, you know, win malpractice lawsuits, you know, with people who have life insurance policies, with people who win the lottery, that's not generational wealth. That's a lump sum of money. And for a lot of people who've not had large sums of money in their account at one time, they might feel that, oh, I would be able to have that for forever. But in real life, what happens a lot of times is people... Uh, overspend uh, and they and they underestimate uh, just how much wealth you really need to have and also how much mm-hmm. wealth is out there in the world I mean I think there's just like you people don't if unless you're you're moving around you're not you're not really seeing like I bet if you were to ask a lot of people how much money do you need for generational wealth you'd be shocked at uh, the, dis- the the dispersion of those answers because of where they uh, have grown up and again who they've seen and and what I what I would encourage people listening uh, who are thinking about yeah that's something I want for my family is to build something um, that has a real underlying value from a from a cash flow standpoint because cash is king if the bank doesn't give me a loan or whatever whatever like i'm you know if the vc doesn't give me a loan whatever like cash is uh something again like creating things that lead to revenue is a very difficult thing to yes. do but it's something that a subject matter expert can do if they put in the time and put in the work you know brother you have you, you that's the master class of statement right there is that the creation of generational wealth is about building something. And, and one of the things that I, I, I'm really wrestling with at this stage of is generational wealth looks like a last name, right? We, we think about the last names that we buy, mm. right? They're, they're Daimler Chrysler, Mercedes, mm. right? These are last names, yeah. uh, right? That, that's generational wealth, right? I, I think about the Walton family and their products, their suites of you know, Sam's Club and, and, and Walmart and Walgreens and all, all of the things yeah. is that if we're thinking about, you know, if we're thinking about generational wealth and financial planning, revolution is what I want you to hear is that you have to think about building something that will have generational revenue. 
Right. And oftentimes, often as I, as I think about honoring my father, Will, my father was a fearless man. My father was a civil rights activist, an educator, a war, a war veteran, uh, all of the things. Our last name, right, Corpru is something. And, and what does it mean to bring value to that name that uh, also that, that would allow my conviction then to be transformed out to other folks that they see value in as well? Because I think that's what happens when we can create value. You're an entrepreneur, and, and a, a lot of people that listen to the show are entrepreneurs. You're creating value for something that can then be increased in value mm-hmm. over time. And it generates revenue month after month, year after year, decade after decade. That's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. We're buying into the value of certain people's last names because they created something that we valued and that we wanted to spend money on. And I think that's the interesting thing is you're thinking about financial planning and financial wealth and generational wealth. What kind of great value can you present out into the world? And I say this all the time, even when I'm coaching, Will, you got to know your customers. You got to know your people. You got to know your talents. And I think that rests upon you. I want you to talk about this really quickly, Will, is that how did you get into, right? You've created something that is going to create generational wealth for you and your family, but you had to build a talent to get here. Talk about your beginnings with base, Bay Street Capital. Talk about your beginnings in the financial world, because I think in understanding what we've just talked about, people will understand that, oh, I need to create something. I need to build something of value that will allow for generational wealth. Talk about your story. Sure. And, and just before we jump into that, since you touched on the Waltons and we talked about building something, uh, reiterating the importance of generational revenue, you know, that Walmart does over a billion dollars a day in revenue. That's amazing. Do you see what I'm saying? And and when you look at something like there's some guys I want to put on, I want to put, I want to give some shine to, there's three black guys out of uh, Harvard and um, they're setting up grocery stores. They've got, have you seen this story yet? They've no. 30 something grocery stores. It's called Yellow Banana, mostly out in the East Coast. Um, like Northeast, and they're doing over a hundred million dollars a year. They started this last year, bro. Wow. 30, 30 grocery stores, yellow banana, and they just got financing for 13 more, you know, and to your point on building something, all of us have heard of these food deserts that have popped yes. up in black communities. Yes. We've yes. heard of that for years, you know, this sit but, in the gap. Yeah. And, but here were three guys who met in school who said, Hey, there's some food deserts out there. Let's go put some grocery stores. You see, you see yeah. what I mean? It's in the gap. Yeah, and to see their their traction over this last year has been really encouraging for me because you know whether or not they have life insurance or whatever, whatever. Like the point is, is that they're building something um, that can lead to again. You have a you have an example of it, you know, and there's no reason why if you break down the amount of money spent in the black community. Uh, on things like groceries that we wouldn't change our behaviors and start to say, well, I'm going to go get my groceries here. You, you see what's going on? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would drive, I would drive plenty of, di- and then now with Instacart and all these other apps, you don't have to drive. I don't, we don't even go to the grocery <laughs> store. You know what I mean? Like the groceries come to where you are. So freedom. Say, yeah. All that to say, man, um, definitely fo- I would focus on building something that um, you can increase that revenue on a day-to-day basis um, and just be a good steward of what that is and keep your yeah. 
lifestyle under control because I've got similar sad versions of that story with individuals who made too much money too fast and it, and it destroyed them. You know, they either mm-hmm. passed away or they lost everything that they had just due to uh, too much too fast type thing, you know? Yeah. Um, now, your question to me, it was... How did I get into financial planning? Yeah. Tell, tell us the story because, I, you know, you told me these stories. We walked along, yeah. you know, walked along Grammy Street in Norfolk. But I think it's really interesting as you think about this, that your story from where it is to now is so interesting Yeah, because it talks about your conviction. Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I always liked business. I always liked the idea of investing, you know. When Google IPO'd, I literally skipped school just to get to it. At the time, we didn't have like cell phones and stuff. So like I left the school in order to call my mom to tell her to take all the money she had and invest in Google. I was like, there's this company called Google. They're going to IPO. And I've used Google before and I've used Dogpile. And Google's better. I was like, put all your money. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at the time, again, I didn't really appreciate that my parents, two teachers, didn't have any money to do that sort of thing with. So I would get frustrated. You know, we'd be driving down the street and I'd say, Mom, put a McDonald's like right there. You know what I mean? And then like years ago, by there'd be a McDonald's there, like, you know, when Starbucks was popping up. Put a Starbucks like right there, you know, put a, you know, like that sort of thing. And, um, When I went to school, my father became disabled. He played football in college and he had four knee replacements, like back to back, four years in a row. And after the fourth one, they told him that uh, he couldn't work anymore. And at the time I was a freshman at Georgia Tech. I was paying out of state tuition. And in Georgia, if you work for a year, you can have in-state tuition. So I took a year. I read a book called The Four Hour Work Week. Uh, I decided to go into. I was trying to get a job at a bank because when I thought, "Hey, how can I make enough money to pay my tuition uh, and kind of pick where I want to go to school?" That sort of thing. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't, you know, an entertainer or anything. But I was like, "Well, people who make money work at banks." So I was like, "I'll go into that." I had watched this documentary on the Rothschild family, and I said, "Hey, I, you know." Maybe I should just like open a bank. So I called my mom at like four in the morning. I said, mom, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, open a bank. That was my goal at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but all the banks I applied to, like I didn't get a, didn't get a job. I actually applied to Walmart. Speaking of Walmart, I didn't get a call back to, um, Walmart. And the first job that I got while I was kind of in this discovery phase was door to door sales for mm. Bell South at the time. Bet I remember Bell South. He acquired them. And we used to literally, you, it was a hundred percent commission. You would go, you'd have a map. We didn't have GPSs. You'd knock on people's doors and you'd ask if they wanted to upgrade their phone service, you know, and a good day would be as if you could make 70 to 80 bucks a day, you know, knocking on people's doors, wearing suits. People always think you're like Jehovah's Witness or something like that. Dogs biting you. You're in the rain. You know, um, I had a couple of instances where like guns were pulled on me. This was like in the middle of Atlanta. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, man, I mean, I did that for about a year and uh, I quit that job because I wanted to be promoted. You know, I was the number four salesperson um in the Southeast for, 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 for door to door sales, believe it or not. And, uh, through that experience, you know, I, I got 
what I would think were sales chops. You know, I learned how to imp- mm-hmm. impulse people to make a decision that they don't necessarily need to buy something that they don't necessarily need. You see, um, and I left and I got a, a job at an insurance company and I also only stayed there for about nine months. Um, I was the number one insurance agent, um, again, in kind of like the Southeast region. And I, uh, decided to start an insurance brokerage. Um, but when I started that, I got sued by the insurance company, which was, which is kind of like a low point in my life because at the time I was like 21, I wasn't back in school yet. Uh, and my first three months selling insurance, I did what I talked about earlier, which is I was living too fast. I bought an M3, I bought a house and I was like calling my parents like, oh, look, I made it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then I got hit with that non-compete lawsuit because in Georgia, well, non-compete stand up. So the insurance company actually sued me in like federal court in Chicago. I'm like, wow. I don't even show up. You see, you see what I mean? I was like, you <laughs> like I got sue. this. Right. I was like, you can't sue me for like selling people insurance. That's ridiculous. You see what I say? And um, they sued, they yeah, sued so- you. Right. So and I lost that. You know, I I wrecked my car a couple of months driving too fast, all this. Um, And then I went from having a lot of money for a brief period of time to not having any money because I lost this lawsuit. I couldn't do the insurance thing. My parents were having to pay my mortgage for like the next year. You see what I'm saying? And at this point, I'm like 21, 22. They were trying to get me to go back to school. Um and I kind of re-upped on this call center idea because I was like, well, what can I do with the skills that I have that's in a space that I understand uh, without literally selling the insurance? You see what I mean? So I started approaching What's other guys who were selling insurance and I said, hey, we'll schedule the appointments for you. Because what I mm-hmm. found okay. is that most insurance guys hate prospecting. You know, they just don't yeah. want to get on the phone and like meet people to sell to. <laughs> and so we ended up um, setting up this call center, it started out with one person, then two, then three like that. And then, you know, flew out to the Philippines that, that following year opened up a two, two floor, uh, call center, you know, and then came back to the U S and I just started going to like this, the biggest insurance companies I could find, you know, we ended up working for New York life, MetLife, mass mutual and foresters. Those were our four kind of big companies that we called for. Um, and we scheduled appointments for him nationally. Your, your dad, you said he was um, a veteran. So we, we supported the thrift savings plan and something called mm-hmm. Fegley, Federal Employee Group Life Insurance. And um, we were the only people doing it, you know. So we would call into federal buildings. We introduce them to one of those companies' advisors. And we say, hey, they're going to just give you uh, advice on what you should do. And the companies paid us per appointment, you know, $35 an appointment. We would schedule two to three appointments per day per telemarketer. And in the Philippines, the telemarketers make 200 to 300 bucks a month. So it was a really high income type business. Um, And that's what I did uh, until 2018. Some of the rules changed. And one of the companies we were calling for was this startup out of the Bay called For Us All. And we uh, helped them go from startup to their first 500 million in assets in four Wow. Wow. And that happened. I read it in a press release. They didn't tell us directly like, hey, you hired we hired eight of your telemarketers. We're doing really well. We got another round of funding. We're going to bring our sales team in house. That's kind of what happened. But through that experience, I said, hey, you know, we've actually got a real skill set here. And that's when we registered 
uh, with the SEC, our own firm, uh, to go out and provide uh, investment advice for uh, other individuals. Because during that period of the call center, I was investing my own money um, and I had made a bunch of mistakes um, throughout that process. But um, yeah, that was that was the origin story of Bay Street and kind of back to that whole word myopia. Uh, I had no idea at the time, you know, that this is kind of where it was going to end up. But uh, that's that's how it happened, man. Yeah, that's the, and, and that's the interesting thing. If you revolutionaries, if you think about the etiology of this story, each time something happened, we, we've been talking about being convicted mostly on this show. And conviction means that not that everything is going to be easy, right? What you just heard from this story is that there were pitfalls, right? Like you said, you were moving too fast. And that, uh, a, a lot of times when we get money, we're not thinking about generational wealth. We start moving. It feels good. That's, it's the American dream. I got cash in my pocket. I got the M3. I got the house. I'm feeling good. Let, let me show off a little bit. And then the brick walls come. And but what happens is we talk about this all the time on the show, Will, is that if you're a great entrepreneur and you're building something, mm-hmm. you're going to find out where to stand in the gap. And that's the thing, right? And you're going to learn and you're going to continue to learn and you're going to continue to learn because that shows your conviction. And I think that's the key. Bay Street Capital is one of the top investment firms in the company, in the country, excuse me, right? And Will, what I just said at the beginning of the show, is one of the top investors in the country. Right. Think about that. Right. This brother who you get to see. Right. With the Jay-Z hat on. <laughs> right. And, 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 and glasses is, is doing his thing. And you think about his journey. Right. The journey from a 19 year old who. Right. Found his way. But now 36, 37, of, if I'm correct, what you told me. Right. Mm-hmm. Thinking about that family has been through strife, but now is making. A way not only for himself but for others. And that's what, that's what it's about. We just talked about when you build something that creates value for someone else, you have the ability to create value, generational wealth for yourself. And that's the thing. We say this all the time. Your revolution is not just for you. Mm-hmm. And when you believe wholeheartedly in that, that your revolution is not just for you, you build something greater. And I promise you, your faith in the universe and God will bring those things to you. What have you heard about this journey? A man of faith, a man of conviction, a man of valued principles says, I'm creating something for someone else. That's who Will Huston is. Brother, this has been an amazing show. I, I know that the journey of this show is, 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 you know, I sit here and look at the notes that I had, the template. We didn't follow the template, but that's always a good thing. You know, that's why I love doing this show when we have the ability to to go off the beaten path because my revolutionaries get to hear something greater. And that's what I want. I wanted you to have a different show. You didn't come on and start talking about financial wealth and all the different things. I wanted them to know your walk. But I will ask this one question before I go. Hmm. Many of us are looking for a great financial advisor, right? Those folks. If you had one piece of advice that you would give my revolutionists as they're going out looking for someone to help them think about their financial future, what would you tell them? I would tell them that most wealthy people didn't get wealthy because they picked the right financial advisor or that they bought the right stocks. Uh, And so don't hope that you can outsource building wealth to someone else, you know, 
Uh, most wealthy people hire financial advisors because they don't want to dedicate their time to managing their money. They want someone who can preserve what they've earned and build it uh, at a methodical pace. But they don't manage their money because they have become a subject matter expert in their field, you see. And so it's better for their time to be spent focusing on their business. So, you know, someone who owns a landscaping business or a painting company or a construction company, it's not that they can't manage their money. It's that it doesn't make sense for them to spend all day managing money that they've earned. It makes sense for them to find someone who is going to spend all day preserving what they've built. And so I would say before you hire anyone, do your own homework, you know, read the top 10 books on investing, you know, Mm. so that when you speak with someone, you know, whether or not they're a good investor, right? Because anybody can talk to you for 30, 40 minutes and then make you feel like they know a lot about something that you have no foundation on, you know? And then once you find somebody who has the same investment philosophy that you do, who's someone you get along with and you can visualize, you know, when I'm older and I do pass this money on to my children, is this somebody I want guiding my children? Is this somebody who passes, not just passes my money on, but passes on my values, who passes on my morals? You see what I mean? Yeah, uh, I do. A lot of, a lot of people, I would say, hire someone too quickly um, because they got their first job and they don't know what the difference of a Roth or a traditional or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay if you get fortunate enough to find a good advisor, you know, but I think it's, it's, it's a mistake to do that time and time again. Um, it would be better to have a foundation of what is investing, what is financial planning, what is financial literacy, how should I manage wealth? And then find someone who's in agreement with what that looks like um, so that they can help and preserve and build what you have. Yeah. Yeah, brother, I thank you. I think that's the best piece of advice. You know, if I think about one of the greatest revolutions of all for us individually, it's finding and having a partner uh, in, in wealth creation that right values what we have and many times like you said we we have this expectation i'll say i ha- i had this expectation that oh you are versed in this you're the expert in this i'm going to give you my money and then i'm going to walk away and then i'm going to come back with grand expectations and that's not true right you have to be just as not and it takes time you have to i can't say just as knowledgeable but you have to be able to be as educated right to understand does this person have my best interest in pop uh, uh have my best interest in their mind and how can we talk succinctly, you know, about what it looks like for my wealth creation and the growth of my, my finances. No. So I, I definitely appreciate that, brother. Thank you. So thank you so much for such, look, such a deliberate answer. Like be, go and do the homework. <laughs> That's the thing. Go and do the homework. Revolutionaries. Look, as usual, this has been a fire conversation, you know, with someone that I admire, that's someone that is well respected uh, and what they're doing. This conversation is, is, is not what you thought it was going to be. It's more right. It's, it's it, like I said, it's about a man that is convicted and his conviction lead, uh, allow him to be faithful in his walk. Allow, allow him to be diligent in his journey to make sure that we are educated and illuminated in the work that he's doing. 
you can go find, like, go look in Google Bay Capital. This brother, look, he didn't even tell you about the hotel. We didn't even get to that, right? We, we didn't even get to the, the properties that, uh, that he has created that allows folks to go and, and have a respite for himself, you know? Make sure you do your homework. And if you're thinking about investing your money, right, take a look at Bay Capital. Uh, take a look at Will Huston. Um, and give him a call because I promise you it's an opportunity for you to think about working with someone who has your best interest because he's convicted. He is convicted. He is convicted. Because you end the year, revolutionaries. All right. Think about where you are, what you're doing. As you begin the year, whenever this comes out, think about answering what we think is the most thought provoking question of your life. And you know what it is. What's your revolution? You know that I love you and that we're here for you. Enjoy yourselves and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. And I love that. I love that. I love that. One of my favorite phrases is uh, people always ask, like, what's your favorite thing or what would you change or whatever? I always say, uh, I heard it from some song. I don't, I don't know the artist or the guy. They said the greatest decision in life I ever made was getting saved. I wouldn't change it for the world. I take it to my grave, you know. And I think that's just. I mean, it's a, it's a eloquent way of really expressing. Uh, for the first ten or so years of my business, all I was trying to do was pursue building something bigger and bigger because that was again the examples that I that I was trying to emulate, you know. Uh, when I was at when I was at Georgia Tech, Facebook had just come out, eBay had just come out, Netflix had just come out, and I was at an engineering school, you know, with a lot of folks who were thinking it could be the next big, you know, thing that comes out, you know. And uh, it took a really long time for me to come to a place where uh, my priorities shifted away from uh pursuing things of the world and being in a place of uh, I just want to seek the Lord with my whole heart and, and trust that if I'm in the will of God, whatever I'm doing is uh, like I can I don't have to be, I don't have to have anxiety around what happens tomorrow and I love that I love that what's good, what's good, what's good, what's good, what's good, what's good, what's good.